are listening to Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show about books, people who read, and how reading at its very best is a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. There is the old philosophical question. If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? Likewise, if you read a book and don't discuss it, have you enjoyed all the perks of being a book lover? I'm your host, Amy. I've been a member of numerous book clubs over the last 25 years and started quite a few. I love asking people what they're reading so that they'll ask me the same. I'm a vintage bookseller, a traveler wannabe, and a fanatic about dogs. And I'm your host, Carrie. I'm an English teacher, a freelance writer, a blogger, and the person whose Instagram feed features more photos of my cats than my kids. Each week, we will talk with a guest who shares the love of reading, how they impart that passion, and what books really catch them on fire. We will also tell you about our literary lives, what books are on our nightstands, and other bookish fun. Welcome. Before we get started today, I want to read a review that Jen left for us on Apple Podcasts. She writes, From the moment I hit play, I felt like I'd plopped down on a couch and been enveloped with the warm chattiness of two women who were my new best podcast friends. Their rapport is real, their guests uniquely interesting, and they ask thoughtful questions. These ladies are smart, funny, and a pleasure to have in your ears. Talk on, Amy and Carrie. Aw, thanks, Jen. If you like what we do, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Facebook, and we will read it on the air. We are now just a few days before Black Friday and the start of the crazy holiday shopping season. We are all book lovers here, which means chances are high we will probably buy a book or related gift for at least one person on our shopping list. Carrie and I, plus our guest today, Brie Esposito, are here to help. Brie has been the marketing coordinator for Carmichael Books, Louisville's oldest independent bookstore, for the last few years and puts together their holiday buying guide. We talk about what adult fiction and children's books are hot this season, what new cookbook is perfect for the no-fuss cook in your life, and what to buy at a bookstore for the hard-to-buy-for person. We also give you some backlist titles that are great holiday reads that you should put on your TBR list this winter. Grab your hot tea or cocoa, or spiked eggnog, because that's sometimes how we roll. Your paper and pen, and prepare your holiday shopping list with us on this week's Perks of Being a Book Lover. Amy and I have Brie Esposito in the studio with us today. She has been the events and marketing coordinator at Carmichael's for the past couple years, and she runs their book club. She's going to be talking to us about getting ready for the whole holiday book shopping process. So welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I've been in, uh, in Louisville for, I think, probably like 10 years now. I have three dogs. I like to read. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Somebody else with three dogs. <laughs> so The we're... third one was an accident. I found her uh, on the road this, this past year, and I didn't think I was going to have three dogs. And then our three dogs is kind of an accident, too. I think the third dog might always be an accident, honestly. <laughs> so where were you before you came to Louisville? Um, I grew up around Chicago, like Northwest Indiana on Lake Michigan, the the region as they call it. So tell us about what your role has been in helping Carmichael shoppers prepare for their holiday purchases. What what is that involved? Yeah, so I put together the Christmas catalog. I do the the actual like designing of the print catalog, um, the plugging in of the new books every year. So that's really how I'm involved mostly because I'm a lot behind the scenes, not so much 
front of the house. So is the catalog, it's like a physical glossy catalog? It's not glossy, actually. It's matte, but it's very okay. beautiful. Um, it's actually a really nice catalog. Very in Carmichael style, that kind of like old fashioned. And we send it out to people um, on our mailing list to give us our address. I think people look forward to it every year. It's actually really a nice, cute little catalog. So. So is there also digital version or no? La- yeah. Last year I did put it up on our website and I made a fully clickable digital version. So it was on our front page and you could click to it. And then if you were interested in any of the books in the catalog, you could actually click on them and it would take you right to our online listing for the book because we do have a whole online store too. So is that the case with this year's catalog that it's clickable and all that stuff? Yes, it should be. <laughs> I've right. got to get on that address list. I know. Well, can you go into the store and get it too? Like if you... The catalogs? The catalog? Yeah, we usually have some extra catalogs kicking around the store. Okay. Um, because people will say, oh, I forgot my catalog, but I know that this is on... You know, I saw something in there and they want to look at it again and take one home. So yeah, we have we have them kicking around the store. And if you want to be on the list, just ask. It's like our little email, yellow sign up things. You just put your address and your email on there. Cool. So you said that you're the one who puts it together, Mm -hmm. but how do you go about deciding what books are in the catalog? What what does that process look like? That's a whole group. It's a decision by committee. All of the booksellers nominate books that they think should be in the catalog, and then the managers kind of make the final decision. They go through, we prune the list, we see what's fitting in, you know, we see if we've got too many of one type of book or the other. So it's a whole big decision-making process. So are the books that you put into the catalog, are they usually new releases for the season or can it be anything? Um, yeah, they're things that came out in the last year. And, you know, it's, it doesn't actually skew very much towards the just literary fiction novel. Because when you're looking at gift books, I think a lot of people lean towards nonfiction. Because in that case, you don't have to know somebody's tastes. You have to know their interests, which mm. is a lot easier. <laughs> we, but we have everything. We've got memoir just general nonfiction. There is fiction in there. Um, usually we just take what we think will be the most popular fiction books through the holiday season. There's cookbooks, kids books, you know, kind of gifty picturey books too, fact-based books. There's like all sorts of things in there. It's, it's a good holiday guide. When you all are taking suggestions from the associates mm-hmm. at Carmichael's, do you find that there's a lot of overlap or do you find that that's that can be a really hard decision to parse through what different people like in order to make it fit in this catalog so this year we did something a little different where we added a staff picks section which kind of helped because then there was no pressure to really like pick somebody's favorite book of the year if we didn't think it was necessarily like a super giftable book that needed a whole section and a whole synopsis and a whole picture. And it got 25 more books in there that weren't in there because we just kind of listed everyone's staff pick with a little two or three sentence review. And that was really nice. I think that's actually a really awesome idea too, because people who are loyal Carmichael customers probably have different booksellers that they really trust their opinion. I know that you have a couple of booksellers that kind of specialize in different genres. And so if you're a graphic novel lover or if you're a sci-fi lover, you're going to look for the picks from that particular bookseller. So, Oh, that's absolutely true. Some of our booksellers have a cult following. <laughs> um, so. They're like rock stars over there. <laughs> yeah. And then so this is everyone's, you know, it's their favorite book of the year. So it's the ultimate. When you're doing this catalog, does this go hand in hand with how you determine what to order 
I mean, do you, you put the catalog together and then make sure you order more that you've listed in the catalog or are those like two totally separate kinds of things? I think that any book that we put in the catalog is something that we probably would have thought to order plenty of. You know, the tariffs and stuff, there have been some issues, I guess, keeping, not keeping books in stock, I don't want to say that, but um, with publishers being able to keep up with printing demands. Um, So this year, we actually tried really hard, and I think they did a really good job of ordering more than we normally would in general for the holiday season. Last year, we had a surprise popular book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Oh, yeah, that cookbook. Yeah. We could not keep it in stock. And I just think it was a combination of the publisher was having trouble keeping up with printing demands. So we were just waiting and waiting for it. Um, Usually books, they come in in like two days if we need them. But that one, it was just one where we were just, we were always taking hold orders. We had like a mile long list. I think it was a combination, like I said, of the publisher not being able to keep up with printing demands. And then also just nobody expected that book to to really blow up. You never know. It's really hard to tell every year what the book is going to be that's popular. But this year we really, I think, covered all of our bases and we ordered a lot more than we usually do. So if a person has a special book that they want to order and you don't carry it, can those books be special ordered? And if so, how long should somebody allow to special order a book? We take special orders all the time, all year. And actually, it's surprisingly quick most of the time. It's about a day or two, usually, that we can get a book in. And it's almost any book you can think of. I mean, some super out of print, like antique. Yeah. Honestly, even then, our booksellers will usually help you find it somehow. So uh, they're really great for that. And, and I wish people more people knew about that because just because we don't have a book physically in the store doesn't mean we can't get it to you in two days, a day or two. Which is really almost the same time that it would take Amazon or the, the A word yeah. to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> what are some special things that Carmichael's does to encourage their readers to shop locally? Um, well, we do for gift wrapping. We have this very ceremonious picking out of the gift wrap every year. So we've got interesting new gift wraps every year. And I think some of them are super cute. Um, I actually saw one today on Facebook that Carmichael's posted. It was sharks with little Christmas Santa hats on. It was so (laughs) cute. I'm going to repost that on Facebook. (laughs) But if you have a shark lover in your life... Who doesn't? Right. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? We've got a good hedgehog one this year, too. Oh, hedgehogs are big. Yeah. Yeah. We also have, you know, very classy, like, fleur-de-lis, you know, adult (laughs) gift wrapping. Well, I'm a person who hates to gift wrap. I'm I'm totally like a gift bag person. So I love it when a place will give you free gift wrap. Oh, and that's our, awesome. Our booksellers get a lot of practice. They're very good. I'm I'm not one of the better gift wrappers. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I use too many pieces of tape, but uh, <laughs> I, I really I'm in awe of my fellow booksellers. They're just like sharp corners, very neat and clean. And then nobody knows you didn't wrap it. I didn't know there was a limit on the amount of tape. See, I really am a bad <laughs> gift wrapper. I, I probably use too much tape too. I mean, you all can wrap books all year long. I didn't realize this because oh, yeah. I went before Birthdays. the holiday season and I was actually buying Christmas gifts, but, you know, super early, like like October. And the bookseller was like, do, do you want these wrapped? And I was like, is that really an option? I didn't even know. So I was pretty excited that, you know, that's that's something all year round that, that your booksellers do. So Yeah, and we even have little to from labels that we can stick on for you. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So what are some of the new books for adults that that are coming out near the holidays that readers either that you know they're excited about or you think they might be 
excited about? I would say that for like adult fiction, there's uh, The Water Dancer by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And I think that book is going to be really popular this holiday season. I've heard such wonderful things about it. Unfortunately, that is one I have not gotten around to reading yet. That one. I've heard good things about that one too. It's very well reviewed. I think it's like the book to read this year in terms of fiction. And then also there's The Dutch House by Anne Patchett, who was actually here in Louisville last month. Yes. So that was really great, actually. It was super fun. But her book, The Dutch House, I think that is a really good one, too, for people, especially fans of Anne Patchett. It's a brother-sister kind of family story. Just a really good, like, overarching novel of a family that deals with all these human themes. Just a really solid book. And Christmas, you know, the holidays is kind of when you... (laughs) You you end up dealing with family drama. So maybe that's a good book to go here. <laughs> I think it'd be a really good sibling book. There's this really strong sibling relationship in that book. I think that'd be a good book to get a brother or sister. So what are you recommending for kids this season? There is one really great one called All the Ways to Be Smart. And it's a book that talks about being smart is not just like taking a test or getting a good grade. It can be about, you know, empathy or being creative. And I think that's a really nice message that a lot of kids don't get. And is this a picture book? Yeah. There's, yeah. There are these really great retro illustrations. And I think it's a good book for kind of a variety of ages of kids. And who, who's the author of that? Uh, Davina Bell. So at Christmas time, I always love getting a cookbook. I love to cook. But the thing about cookbooks is they're also usually so beautiful with all these wonderful pictures. And I know that that is a big item to give people at Christmas. So What's the cookbook scene look like this year? Are there some that y'all are recommending that are going to be popular, you think? Man, I love cookbooks. So I think one this year that'll be popular, uh, and rightfully so, is Alison Roman's new cookbook. She does a cooking segment for the New York Times. She was, I want to say, was it Gourmet or Bon Appetit? I want to say Bon Appetit. But she's she's big, young superstar in the cookbook writing reviewing like recipe industry she's sort of like a a millennial cook I guess you could say but I have her first cookbook dining in and I use it all the time I made something from it literally last night so and her new one nothing fancy just came out three weeks ago I think and I think that one's going to be really popular it's I think great for I especially like younger busy cooks because you know the title is nothing fancy and it's so these are totally makeable recipes they are yes but you know they're they're makeable but then they're also like worth that little bit of effort that Mm -hmm. goes beyond like just throwing spaghetti in a pot you know so they're worth putting that like little extra in but it's not going to be you know some huge julie child production right Right. That sounds like a cookbook right up my alley because my whole existence. You need nothing fancy. (laughs) My whole existence is nothing fancy. So, yeah, it's great. And it's very, very like kind of practical advice too. Like her desserts are very like quick and simple things. She has like, I think, a chocolate cookie recipe in this new one that she intends for you to mix up and put in the oven just after you guys have finished a big meal at the table because so everyone can smell them cooking you know like it's not a make ahead thing they're so quick you just mix it together throw it in the oven for like eight minutes and then you've got cookies oh, so. my husband would love that he he hates it when I make cookies when he's not there because he likes them when they first come out of the oven before they've even gotten solid yet when they're still sort of like cookie lava <laughs> on the tray that's when he likes to eat them so that would be perfect for that's him. the best I like to underbake a cookie yes that too no one likes a dry cookie so were there any other cookbooks? um so I guess on the other end of that spectrum maybe for the more advanced 
cook. There's Poilan, which is kind of a bread cookbook. And I think specifically focused a little on sourdough, which, as you know, is like a whole project. That's like having a pet. It is. (laughs) It is absolutely like having a pet. Yeah, um, I worked in a bakery for a little bit, and that was their specialty sourdough. And you you have to feed it, you know, every day and take some out. And yeah, you should see the faces I'm making. <laughs> it's intimidating, but I've always wanted to to do my own sourdough starter. So maybe this will be the year. So what about for the person that you may be buying for who really likes to listen to audiobooks? Do you have any options for that? We actually do, and I think it's fantastic. There's this company called Libro FM. And I actually use Libra FM a lot because I drive a ton. I live over in Indiana. (laughs) But one of the cool things that we're doing this year is we're one of the like kind of pilots for their gift card program. So we'll have Libra FM like audio subscription gift cards. So it's it works just like other audiobook subscription services where you pay like a monthly fee and you get like one book credit for that month. So I think we've got like one, two and three month gift cards like that'll be up at the register um, and it's just an app on your phone and they have all the audiobooks available that that everyone else does but they benefit your independent bookstore when you buy them so if you if you bought one of those from Carmichael's then Carmichael's would get that sale exactly mm-hmm. um, and it's really nice it's a great and their their app is great it works great and what's nice about them too is they have like bookseller recommendations for audiobooks which is it's you know an audiobook is kind of a different recommendation than than a it totally a is. physical book because it does matter a lot who's reading it there are some books that i don't know that i would have liked as much had i just read them as opposed to like listening because they pick just like the perfect voice mm. actor for it or something so it's kind of nice to get those like the bookseller recommendations of this is a good audiobook because a good book might not necessarily That's right. be a good audiobook. Right. There are some books that because of, uh, you know, if they switch different time frames each chapter or different narrators each chapter, you know, that might, you might be able to get, a, to find a good audiobook, but it's going to have to be a really good narrator to make that work so that you're not completely confused. And yeah, so the, a, a good narrator makes a huge difference. And there's even sometimes like a book that I think might be an average book, but a good narrator can make it an exceptional listening experience. We actually had that experience with Invasion of the Body Snatchers mm-hmm. like early this year, which is an old, you know, fairly old book from the 50s. And you kind of think of it as being kind of a, a cheesy, you know, pulp horror book. But on audiobook, it was amazing. So narrators can really make or break it. On the on the gift cards, you said that there's like one, two, and three month. Or is it one, two, and three books? It's the same thing. Oh, okay. So, so you get one, like, one listen per month or one yeah. book. Okay. Yeah, okay. I guess you could think of it as like one, two, or three books. Because it's a credit and it'll, in that way, rather than like picking an amount... It's just a credit that gets you any audiobook. So I think some are slightly more expensive than others, probably based on like length and oh, okay. factors that I'm not fully <laughs> in tune with. But Okay, great. That's yeah, that's a great, great option. option. Yeah. Oh, in years past, have there been books that people bought off the shelves like crazy and, and you had to reorder? You had mentioned the pork. Oh, salt, that acid salt, heat. Okay. Oh, yes. man, yeah. What, but, well, I don't know. I've never <laughs> heard of that book before. <laughs> I, I do kind of think that every year there's like a runaway book that, you know, 
we couldn't have predicted that our our reps we get reps in from the different publishers who could go through the catalogs with us and tell us oh we think that this is going to be really big you should order extra of this i think that there are just every year books that nobody predicted to be so popular i mean there might have been a good npr interview or just you know it might have caught on somehow or some related activity there's so many factors that go into both book selling and like book events that just you can't predict like the popularity of something with it 100% accuracy right so there's there are definitely like runaway hits every year that we end up reordering over and over again and we usually catch on pretty quick and then we just do like huge orders I don't think this one was a big surprise I worked at a, another bookstore last year just for the holidays and Michelle Obama's becoming oh. flew off the shelves and there were a couple of companion books that pictures by their uh, the, the press the, photographer the presidential photographer yeah, yeah. of their family sometimes they would buy that in addition but I don't know that that was a huge surprise hit I think people thought that that one was going to be pretty popular and I guess too I mean if if something happens right before the holidays and somebody's in the news maybe it's not a new book and then be, just because that person's in the news the book might sell you know, like, I guess I'm thinking if somebody dies. Yeah, that's really oh, the, right. The like Toni Morrison. Yeah. I mean, right. I wonder if, if there's been an uptick in Toni Morrison's books selling because of her death a few months ago. Right, right. I do definitely think that there's, unfortunately, it's kind of like a, yeah. a macabre thing. But when an author dies, there's a big rush and everyone orders their their backlist. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's what our book club is doing mm-hmm. this month. After she died, we decided, you know, a lot of people hadn't read anything by her. And we said, well, that's what we're going to do. Everybody read a book by Toni Morrison and we'll, you know, talk about it. I, I know you said you have worked behind the scenes, but or what do the associates there do to help people who are shopping for that hard to buy for a person? And I guess probably the catalog helps because it does offer, you know, a plethora of ideas. Are there other things that that Carmichael's does to try to help clients who are like, I've got this person in my family or I've got, you know, maybe a work colleague and I need to buy them something and I have no idea. I think different booksellers have their go-to books for that. I know that Sam, one of our booksellers, she's got this book she recommends everyone, Jim the Boy. And I think she sold over like 100 copies of it. And he actually came to the store because of it. It was really great. But in general, I think that's what is so great about a bookstore versus shopping online for books or going into just some like mass market place that also sells books is that these people who work at a bookstore are there because they care so much about books and they've read so many books and they're just so absorbed into the the culture and and that the arena of book selling that I, I'm just in awe of my fellow booksellers when I see them helping somebody and they're just pulling things out. They're like, oh, you know what? This, this would be great. Let me run over here and I'll get you this one. And then they ask these like very insightful questions. And I've just seen people walk out of there so happy and so confident in their choice. And it's all because there's this like little corner of the world they can go to with these like really truly like expert people, which is just really nice. I, I don't feel like there's like a ton of that out there, like a ton of like that specialization. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. It's very stressful to try to buy something for somebody where you don't know their interests. And for me, you know, because I love books, I feel like books are kind of a a little bit safer bet because you don't have to figure out somebody's size and you don't have to figure out, you know, if they have food allergies or, you know, there's sort of like a lot of complications that can come with buying a gift for somebody. And I feel like books are kind of safe, Uh, but then you have that issue of what's a good general purpose book 
I, you know, there's like, there's art books, there's photography books. So if you have an even kind of general idea, you know, of an artist or a subject that they're interested in, there's, there's local interest books, which I think are good too, especially if you're buying for someone like in the same town. So there'll be a Louisville history book or a history of Crescent Hill or something, which is great if you, you know, the person's lived here for a long time. Those old pictures can be really fun yeah, to look yeah. at. That's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. You can know what neighborhood they live in and kind of tailor a book selection to that, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And this might sound sacrilege, but and I'm not necessarily talking about fiction books, but even if a book has a beautiful cover, even for a person who's not a huge reader, if you have a book that has a really cool or beautiful cover, you can use it as decor in your house. I mean, a lot of people like to just put books out just to uh, admire them, even if they don't always read them. Oh yeah, a book as an art object is totally a thing. I love I, I love those um, penguin cloth bound classics. Yeah. Those are gorgeous, and I think those just would look really nice and yeah. kind of color coordinate. <laughs> I, I love some of these new reprints they're doing of different classics now, and they're just really cool looking covers, you know. So we we've kind of segued into this using books as accessories. So I want to ask about what are some other things that Carmichael's keeps in stock or maybe that they get especially for the holiday season that aren't necessarily books but might be of interest to people who like books. Yeah, actually, our Bardstown Road store expanded into the space where the coffee shop was, and we have filled that with so many, we call them sidelines in the industry, just book-related but non-book items. There are so many there, and if you have not checked it out, I highly recommend it. We're getting new stuff in all the time, too, so it's like almost hard to keep up for me, but we've got literary tea towels, magnets, candles, pencils. It's just, I mean, like the depth and amount of things we have is truly astounding over there christmas ornaments yeah there are ornaments literary ornaments oh Oh. (laughs) and as soon as we're done taping amy and i are going (laughs) so the the candles are they the ones that have the old book scent or do you know what they are yeah definitely there are are the old book scent there are the unlicensed harry potter scents (laughs) so you know like the the wizard scents (laughs) the wizard what does a wizard smell i don't know (laughs) the butter drink oh yeah yeah yeah. butter beer yeah or i guess you can't call it butter beer that's maybe licensed oh, the okay. bu- butter drink butter drink yeah <laughs> well I was impressed or shocked or whatever surprised I guess because when I was doing this early Christmas shopping and purchasing books I saw it was a little notepad now this was at the Frankfurt Avenue store and it was it was actually from Dirty Dancing which doesn't <laughs> really I don't I don't think that's based on a book but my daughter I can't let her listen to this episode. My daughter <laughs> loves Dirty Dancing. And so it's like a notepad that has the the setting of that and the hotel that oh, they okay. stayed in. Mm-hmm. And so I noticed a lot of sort of stocking stuffer type gifts that I didn't really think about as being, you can tell how, how infrequently I shop. I do not shop very often. But I was pleasantly surprised by how many sort of stocking stuffer type gifts were at the Frankfurt Avenue store that I didn't really anticipate there being. And I will add another one in. My father-in-law and mother-in-law are big puzzle people. And the Frankfurt Avenue store has a lot of really, really great puzzles. And by that, I mean, they're just a little different than the ones that you would get like at your Walmart or Target or something like that. In fact, the one that I got for them looks like a flower bouquet, but it's not in your typical 
square, rectangle, or even circle shape, it is actually in the shape of a bouquet, you know, with all the outlines. And it was apparently quite a challenging puzzle, but they really liked it. But it's beautiful enough, you know, that if you wanted to go through the process of gluing it or hang it up, you could do that. But they have a really nice selection of puzzles for all you puzzle crazy people out there one other thing that i liked i almost bought it for my son but it's a package of balloons that you can blow (laughs) up or you know have inflated and it says i'm sorry for being an asshole and i almost bought that for my middle child but (laughs) i did not (laughs) okay i don't know where we go from there where do we go from there the catalog you kind of scrolled through and showed us I mean, it is not what I was thinking. I was thinking a little, like, a couple pages, but this catalog is huge. It's, like, close to 30 pages. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not large. It's about the size of a paperback book. I guess what I was picturing when we were talking about catalogs is I was thinking, you know, like, really short blurbs, but it looks like the explanations of the books are pretty substantial. They are, yeah. Actually, and, you know, I had to cut so many down heartbreakingly. So in previous years, last year, Carmichael's passed its ownership from the original owners, Carol and Michael, um, after 40 years, to their daughter, Miranda, and niece, Kelly. So in previous years, Michael, Michael Boggs had written all the descriptions himself, and he was great. He has his own voice, and they're wonderful. And if you can get your hands on any of the old catalogs, do because they're collectors' items. <laughs> <apparently. laughs> they're great. Um, this year, so we did something a little different this year, and we had staff members sign up for books that they had read and were interested in that were going to be in the catalog. Like once we finalized the list, we put a file up and let everybody say, "I want to write the blurb for that one." And so we got all these different voices in there this year, which was really nice. And some people just had a lot to say about their chosen books, which is great. I mean these. These are people who not only do booksellers read and recommend books, but they write reviews for them. Like we have the shelf talkers in the store and the staff pick section. And so they're adept at writing reviews, like really good reviews that kind of summarize and also get you interested in a book. And booksellers do that for the publishers. We send them in. Um, We nominate books for the Any Next list. So it's really great to have all this talent and to be able to put it into this, this catalog. So that's really nice. And and it's worth reading because you'll find things that you didn't realize. They're not just straight summaries. It's not like what you'd get on the back of a book. It's, I read this book. Here's what I think about it. Here's how it fits into the larger landscape of literature, in my opinion. And so, sometimes they're very funny, too. <laughs> and you know that they're passionate about it, as opposed to somebody who's maybe working for a publishing company and their job is to write blurbs. And maybe they've read the book and maybe they haven't read the book, you know, but these are people who have read them and really care about it yeah it's great and it goes back to what I was saying about like bookstores independent bookstores and this is like a little independent bookstore in your pocket right because these are handwritten blurbs and reviews for every single book in the catalog nothing has pulled off of the internet or off of the back of the book this is all your local booksellers And if you go in, those shelf talkers are really nice. If you don't know what a shelf talker is, they're little placards. Placards might not be the right word, but little... Let's call them placards. Well, we're going to call them placards (laughs) that are all around the bookstore in every section where the booksellers have recommended a certain book that they have loved. And you can find those all year long, not just at the holiday time. And it's a really nice way if you're just going in and you're thinking, I just really need a new book, but I don't really know what I want, you know... Look for those look for those shelf talkers. So right now it's on your computer 
because I'm like, okay, now I need to get my hands on one of these. So when should customers expect that they would be able to to see this come through or be mailed to them or be able to pick it up in the store? Well, they're at the printers now. I would imagine that the aim is to get them out by Small Business Saturday, which is the day after Black Friday, which this year is November 30th, I believe. So I would hope that the idea is to get them in the store by then. I don't know how long the mailing will take, but definitely before the holidays. Okay. All right. I'm very excited to see this to see this catalog and be able to touch it with my own hands and see some of the ideas because I don't have enough on my own list of books to read. But you know. we are now going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. We are back with Brie Esposito, and we are going to talk about what we're reading. So, Carrie, what are you up to in the reading world? So, it's listening. I am listening to Circe by Madeline Miller. I got the audiobook on my phone from RB Digital, and it is narrated by Perdita Weeks. And I, up until like an hour ago, I didn't know who this person was, but she's apparently an actress and her voice is like honey. I mean, she just has a wonderful voice. I am enjoying this book a lot. I know who Circe is because I teach the Odyssey, Homer's Odyssey. And in the Odyssey, Circe is one of the, I guess, characters that Odysseus comes upon. He lands on her island she's considered an enchantress and if memory serves she turns his men into pigs i believe so that's how i know of circe so this is kind of circe's story in her own words from the time she is born until i haven't gotten that far i'm not finished with it but i am enjoying it very much and i feel like it's going to be interesting to me because i'm going to be teaching the odyssey in the spring to my students. So I feel like reading this now is going to give me a little bit of insight into her character who, you know, I've never really thought that much about Circe before. I mean, you know, she's always kind of like that secondary character to Odysseus. So it's so interesting. So this was a really popular book and I have not read it yet, but is it, is it like the original time period that yes, the Odyssey? Yes, it is not, not, a, it is not, not a, a modern, modern version. I mean, it is like she talks about her father Helios and her mother and who they are and how she, you know how she comes to be and she talks about her siblings and she's at a point now where her siblings have left and she's by herself and she meets her first kind of mortal like i said i'm not i'm maybe 3 or 4 chapters in so i don't know exactly where this is going to go you know how far if it's going to get to the point where she meets odysseus in this but it's super fascinating and you know i think sometimes that characters that we meet in one book we develop a an impression of those characters i mean she turns humans into pigs so you know you don't look at her like oh she's really fantastic she seems like she's a witch right right yeah. right and so you know hearing her story from her own words fleshes her out a bit you know and it might be something that i recommend to my students and say hey you know maybe this summer check out circe 
And she wrote one before that called Song of Achilles. Yes. Did you know that? Yes. Okay. I, I think one of our former guests talked about yes. that book. Cheryl Sweeney in yes. the episode at the Speed right. Art Museum. Right. So yeah. it's, it's a good listen so far. And it just the language is beautiful. There's just all of these descriptions and similes that uh, you can really picture what she's talking about. So how about you, Brie? What are you reading? Um, well, by the way, I did love Cersei. Oh, okay, uh, We read cool. that in the Carmichael's book club. I had just finished Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga it's Tokarczyk. Pol- Tokarczyk. Yeah. Uh, it's Polish. Um, she just won the Nobel Prize in Literature, and I think her previous book, Flights, won the Man Booker. I really loved Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. I like literature and translation. I thought this was a great example of it. What's it about? It's Driving about... Driving Your Plow Over the Bones <laughs> of the Dead. That's what the title says. <laughs> it's, um, it's about an old woman who lives, or an older woman, I don't know, who lives up in the mountains, kind of in isolation during the winter when all the people who have cabins up there go back down to the city and it's it's her and just a couple other people up there and people start showing up murdered uh and so it's it's kind of about that there's like this undercurrent of mystery but also there's this this really unique female character at the front of the the novel which i which is what i really liked about it and i don't want to reveal too much because it is it's sort of mysterious there are definitely spoilers but it was it was a quirky book. It was a good read. I flew through it. I really enjoyed it. It reminded me a lot of a different author in translation, um, Magda Zabo. I don't know if you guys have read anything by her. Uh-huh. Um, she wrote this book called The Door that was really great. Um, Ease's Ballad. I feel like she's one of these like hidden gems. Um, Where is she from? Czech, I think. She's Czech. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so a lot of her books were like republished by uh, NYRB Classics recently. And I flew through all of them. I just love all of them. She's one of my favorite authors. But this book reminded me a lot of her. So, of course, I loved it. Did you say you're also reading another one right now? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm reading several right now because that's how my style. My reading style is to have like four or five books going. But I'm also reading uh, short stories by Miranda July because I'm just absolutely addicted to Miranda July. So what is it about Miranda July that makes you addicted? She's got such a unique voice. And if if you're familiar with her work at all, because she's an artist in so many different ways, she has movies. She does. I mean, she even does little like mini movie play things on her Instagram. She's just she's super creative. She's got a very unique perspective. She's definitely an acquired taste, kind of like kombucha, but um, (laughs) she's great. I love her. I mean, I'm just really into, I'm picking up what she's putting down, as you would say. (laughs) There's one of those millennial phrases that we we were having a discussion about. We were coming up with a title anyway for one of our shows and, and Amy was trying to find a millennial phrase there is one i, I feel <laughs> like that's like an ironically like an older phrase that like been, <laughs> i was just being goofy <laughs> see we're not even hip enough to no. know what's hip no we don't we don't well amy what are you reading well the thing i just finished is a book it came mm. out i think at the beginning of 2019 and it's called my sister the serial killer and it's by a nigerian author named oinkin braithwaite And this was long listed for the Booker Prize. And this is her debut novel. And it's sort of a thriller, dysfunctional family. So good for a holiday season. (laughs) 
another yeah. book to give to your sibling. Right, exactly. <laughs> or not. So the story is of two sisters. There's Coride and Ayula. And Coride is the older sister. She's very confident, very smart, but she's plain. She's the head nurse at the local hospital. And then there's her little sister, Ayula. She's young and beautiful, has a penchant for style, but she doesn't have a job. She's kind of being supported by her older sister. But she has a problem. And her problem is that she has a bad habit of killing her boyfriends. And Iola's excuse is always that she's the victim, that they abuse her in some way. But then when the third boyfriend dies and she asks her sister to come help her dispose of the body, things get a little bit more complicated. And Iola comes to the hospital one day to have lunch with her sister, uninvited, and meets the head doctor on Karide's floor, who Karide is secretly in love with. I mean, if there wasn't already a problem, this makes the problem <laughs> worse, right? Because Iola now has an interest in this man she's invested yeah that Karita loves and of course there's always the concern that maybe Iula is gonna you know off him off him right so this book was interesting to me for a couple of different reasons there's the whole sister relationship and in, the, in many ways it's sort of a reverse Cinderella story you know you instead of Cinderella who's the beautiful ones being um, the victim of the ugly stepsisters, it's kind of um, the reverse. And there's the whole issue of beauty and its power. But there's also a dysfunctional family. Um, they hint at, at their father being a cruel and abusive person who's now dead. So there's also family secrets. So you've got a lot of hot button issues all in one book. It's not very long. I've not read anything like it. I would recommend it. But I also want to talk just a little bit about some holiday reads because I like to read seasonally. I read several books last year that I think if you're someone who likes to read books about the holidays or about winter in that time, you should check out. The first one is called The Snow Child, and it's by an author named Eowyn Ivy. And it's based on a Russian folktale about a snow child who comes alive. But this version is set in outback Alaska in the 1920s, and it's with a couple who cannot have children. It's magical and beautiful, but it is magical realism. So if that's not your thing, you know, it might not be something that you would love. But I really, really enjoyed it, um, and I would recommend it. The next one's called A Christmas Memory by Truman Capote. And this is, is three short stories by him. Two of them are Christmas-based, and one of them is Thanksgiving-based. They're all about his childhood, growing up with relatives on a sn small farm in Alabama. And it gives you all those good holiday feels without being too saccharine sweet. I'll admit I'm not a Hallmark Christmas movie lover myself. So this was just perfect uh, um, for me. And then the third one is called Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk, and it's by Kathleen Rooney. And this one is a great one to read right around New Year's because it's a novel about a woman who's in her 80s, and she decides on New Year's Eve to walk through various spots in Manhattan and in the process reminisce about her colorful and full life. Her character is the first successful female jingle writer at an ad agency during the Jazz Age. So she's had a, a very interesting life. And as she walks through her hometown of Manhattan, you know, you get a lot of her backstory. If you liked uh, Rules of Civility by Amore Tolls, it reminded me a lot of that. Or if you like a walking as 
a spiritual journey kind of book, like The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry by Rachel Joyce, that kind of fits into that one too. So there are three books that if you want a holiday read, I would recommend. Brie, do you read seasonally? Do you pick up books that are related to whatever season you're in? I think I have books that I I definitely like in certain seasons. I, I try to always read like a classic around the holidays. I like read Jane Eyre one year, Testa Uberville's last year. Um, so I try to do that just because I feel like a nice longer book that you really kind of like tuck into. And I feel like those like classic books yeah. can be a little be really nice around the holidays. You were talking about holiday books. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention David Sedaris's Holidays on Ice. Yes. Um, yeah. If, if you were the type of person who is like, whatever, just get me through the holidays. This is a good book, I think, because it's a little bit jaded. Probably, probably I shouldn't even very, say Very, very dark humor. Very, very <laughs> dark humor. I shouldn't even say a little bit jaded. But my favorite story, uh, you, you know, so it's a book of essays or, or stories. My favorite one is Front Row Center with Thaddeus Bristol, which is he's attending and reviewing a children's holiday play and it is hilarious if you're a parent and you've had to go to so many different performances by your child and you're just like over it you'll probably appreciate that particular essay so uh, that's that's my uh that's my recommendation i think my maybe my favorite holiday story now that i think about it is the dead by james joyce oh um it's probably my favorite short story ever it's absolutely beautiful it's stunning it's short and he does so much in those few pages so really all of dubliners is a great holiday book takes place in the winter there are a lot of holiday related stories going on but that last one the dead is just so beautiful i have not read that i have to check that out yeah well i have read it and i'm like it's around the holidays i need to go back and reread it the dead it's like a whole christmas party and then an Airbnb, that's another great story from that book. The little kid's going to buy, um, he's going to the Holiday Bazaar or whatever to buy like a gift for the girl he has a crush on. I need to go back and reread because I'm like, <laughs> I, I get so almost paralyzed when I read James Joyce. I feel like Dubliners is very accessible. I think people think of James Joyce when they like, like Finnegan's Wake or Ulysses, but there's that other side of him, like the Dubliners. I think anyone could pick that book up and read it. You don't have to be an English major. It's not intimidating. It's very beautiful. I do think I read one story from it, maybe in college, and I remember being surprised. That I'm like, oh, this seems like a totally normal st- story, unlike a lot of Joyce's other works. So those are some great recommendations. Absolutely. All right. Well, when we come back, we are going to ask Bree her top five. back with Brie Esposito and we are going to be asking her her top five. Brie, you run an online lit magazine called TLDR Magazine. Tell us a little bit about it and why you started it. And then we want to know, as someone who writes poetry, what is the top thing you appreciate about that form? So I actually took over TLDR from somebody else, Russell Jaffe, who was the previous, I guess, the founder, editor, of it. I really admired the magazine. It was probably my favorite online lit magazine. I was a huge fan. So it was a really wonderful opportunity to like take it over. And it, I'm so passionate about it. I loved the name for starters because TLDR is slang for too long didn't read. Ah! Um, <laughs> so uh, it's, it's an all online lit magazine for now. And I like it to be multimedia. 
There are gift poems where people write poems in reaction to gifts. There are grocery list poems. I think that's the top thing I love about poetry is just how experimental it can get and how much you can really play with so many different aspects of it. Form, subjects. I think it's constantly reinventing itself. And I think it's probably one of the most accessible forms of art, even though I think people tend to think that it's it's hard and dense and they they don't want to read poetry, they don't want to write it because it's scary. It's, it's actually not at all. And, you know, so many things can be a poem. A grocery list can be a poem. That's like my tagline. It's like, send me your grocery lists. And obviously, you know, there needs like there needs to be like intent and, you know, some editing. But, you know, it's there's so much room there for creativity and it can be so accessible and I wish people felt it was more accessible. So I think that's what I love the most about the magazine is that it's showing people these different ways you can be creative and it can be poetry and it can have a place and I want to be like a home home for that, I think. You run multiple book clubs, both personally and for Carmichael's. What is the top hardest thing about facilitating a book club and what's the most rewarding? I actually think that the hardest thing and the most rewarding thing are the same thing, which is uh, being at the mercy of other people's book choices. <laughs> um, you know, uh, before book clubs, I feel like I would get on a thing where I'd read an author I like and then I would read everything that author wrote because, I, you know, I was so afraid of just reading a, like a string of bad books. So I thought, OK, I found something I like. I'm going to going to just do this to death. But what's nice about a book club is when you're picking your own books in isolation, there's a bias there. It's what you like, you know, and to really open your mind to different things, you have to let other people expose you to, to them. It's the same way you can't like entirely teach yourself because there are there's always going to be things that are just outside of your experience. Uh, and so that's that's been both challenging and nice. It's hard when for a few months in a row, you you feel like you're dragging yourself through books that aren't your thing. And then you feel like you have to go to this club and you got nothing nice to say about the book. <laughs> but those actually, honestly, always make the best meetings. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> that's So I have run several book clubs myself. And I am always trying to instill in people that you don't have to pick a book that you think everyone is going to love. In fact, those books are oftentimes the ones that don't have very interesting discussions because there's nothing to discuss. Should you pick a book that looks like it only has one stars on Goodreads? I mean, everybody's only giving it one stars. Maybe not. But I'm just saying, you know, it doesn't have to be the, you know, top bestseller of the year for to make a good book. So I totally agree with you. So how many book clubs are you in? So right now I'm in four, oh which gosh. I've pruned it back. So uh, <laughs> I think definitely there were times when I was in not only in, but at least in some capacity, co-hosting, uh, at least six probably was at times. So <laughs> is all your reading just for book clubs or are you able to squeeze in like things you want to read in addition to those? I managed to squeeze in books here and there. Um, I, I would say I read about a book a week throughout the year and my book clubs usually meet once per month. And so one of them right now is a cookbook club. So already there, there's a free week. And then, you know, sometimes it's a book I've read already that gets picked for one of the book clubs, especially the Carmichael's one, which helps. And and so now, yeah, there's totally, there's totally free reading time there. And honestly, I do make suggestions of books that I want to read anyway for at least one of my book clubs every month. So 
So tell us, you said that you are in a cookbook club. What is the top food that you or someone else has made and brought to this cookbook book club? It's a really tough one because everyone makes such good things and and really they're they're all great cooks. But one that kind of stands out to me is this saffron cardamom kind of panna cotta like dessert that somebody made once out of this cookbook called Indian-ish. Mm. Um, it was a really unique dessert and it was just a really nice way to end the meal. And it even had like edible flowers on top and like little saffron sprigs. I don't know what you, what do you call a piece of saffron, but <laughs> uh, yes, I don't know what you call it. I think it's like, it's threads. like, yes, it's, yes, it is like threads because it's the inside of a flower. Is that oh. why it's so it's Yes, so you have to hand pick them. Yes, that's why it's so expensive. So do you do a different cookbook every month? We do. So um, for the year, we pick what we call like our, I guess, like our core cookbook so that you only have to buy one cookbook or rent from the library or whatever. But that way, if you don't, if you aren't interested in the cookbook we've picked for that month, if it's not your kind of food, if you can't get a hold of it, you can always go back to our core ah. cookbook. So this year, we picked one called Six Seasons. So that way I thought it would be kind of easy to like reinvent. You know, we cook through the, the winter stuff and then it'll, it's by ingredient, like what's fresh right now. So then in the summer you can revisit that cookbook and make something totally different. And it's I think that's a vegetarian cookbook or mostly vegetarian. A lot of our cookbook meetings end up being almost totally vegetarian. I don't know why. Wow. I think they just end up being the more yeah. interesting dishes. So and then, yeah, we pick a different one every month. Sometimes we pick something like with a blog component. So it's just more accessible and people don't feel pressure to like Mm -hmm. buy this expensive newish cookbook so we did like the smitten kitchen blog and cookbook that way you could pick Mm -hmm. any of her recipes there's so many i love her so you mentioned that you also make ceramics what is the top ceramic piece that you've made and why is it your top Um, or do you have a top well i did just two weeks ago i took a sculpture class at a sculpture studio around here forest boone studios uh, I was really lucky to be able to take the class. It was a week-long class, and I made this kind of classic Roman statue, but she's got, like, stomach rolls and body hair and, like, uneven boobs. <laughs> I just love her so much. <laughs> so has it been fired and everything yet? Like, you have it in your home? Yes, I do. It's painted and on a pedestal actually one of the cool things about that class was I got to cut I've never done this before um I cut the limestone out of a bigger piece of limestone with like a jackhammer oh my god and then I like used an edge grinder to like grind the edge of the pedestal and then I drilled through the limestone and put like an armature in there to build the sculpture on it was it was really cool it was so many power tools but like not in a scary way and it felt I felt so like empowered and confident afterwards it was like a totally different way I usually work wow I okay usually- <laughs> so so before when you have done ceramics I mean has it been like pottery like wheel yes like okay. functional ceramics was, right is kind of what I do like oh, okay I, you know like I think before you know before that class I probably would have said my my top piece was like my I don't know like like you know, the like pour over coffee things, mm-hmm. like a Chemex. I made uh-huh. one. Of, I made one of those with like a little like matching cup set. But you know, I like hand building more than the wheel mm-hmm. usually. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a natural move into sculpture. Although I had never done anything, I'd done a few things, but nothing very sculptural. More like functional, like mugs and stuff. Uh, so that was really exciting and and a challenge, and I was really into it. Amy and I have taken some pottery classes before, and I like the hand building. The wheel was a lot harder than what I thought. 
you see people do it and you think, oh, how hard can that be? It's really hard. Like you have to center your body and hold your elbows a certain way and you have to do the right pressure. I mean, it was way more complicated. And I sort of, um, I sort of gave up a little bit probably sooner than I should. But I like the hand building just because you can still make bowls and cups and mugs and stuff like that. But you could also do, I don't know, some flatter pieces. I made some little like flat houses that I then have on. I don't like to take up horizontal space. I sort of like to use vertical space. And so I was making a lot of pieces that I could stick up on the wall. So but pottery is super, super cool. Yeah, I really miss it. I stopped taking classes a couple of years ago, and I really want to go back if I can find time to do it. But when I, you're not editing this? Yeah, so I, probably mine would be I decided one year that I wanted to make my own set of bowls that you know we could use for cereal, for soup, for whatever. And all of them are a little bit different, and some of them look a little wonky, but I still just, I just really love eating out of those bowls, and that's probably my, that would be my favorite. So many book lovers fantasize about working in a bookstore. What has been the top thing that you have enjoyed about your job there? So I wish it was a more noble answer, like helping people or (laughs) (laughs) being part of this community, which was, no, which is all great. But honestly, the very top thing, of course, is the like free books, (laughs) The, the book discount. I mean... Well, who's really going to argue with that? Right, right. I mean, no book lover is really going to argue with free no. books. It's the books. What can I say? When you're a bookseller, you get what's called ARCs, which stands for Advanced Reader Copies or Galleys, which you guys probably mm-hmm. talked about before on the podcast. So, And you just get so many of those. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> I mean, if you're a book lover, it's about the books. <laughs> That's right. It is about the books. I, I have seen, Amy and I have both seen the, the, the wall, wall of, of arcs <laughs> at the Frankfurt Avenue store. And I don't know. I mean, I it don't, was a little overwhelming. It was, really. it was a lot overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It was like, what? So, I mean, it goes to the, like, to the ceiling. So it can be a lot of pressure because, you know, most books that you get, you know, when you buy a book or you check a book out from the library, don't have like a date stamped on them, like an expiration date. But like when you're a bookseller, you want to read the book before it comes out in time to you know write a review for the publisher or um, nominate it for Indie Next or something because yeah, that's why they send out the arcs. <laughs> and so there's like this like looming deadline and the like stamped on the cover of the book when it's an arc, which is a little it's a little bit of pressure. It's a different it brings a little bit of a different feeling into into yeah. it's not just a book. reading for fun. Yeah, yeah, reading for a deadline. Well, Brie, it has been really great to talk to you. I feel like we have learned a lot about what Carmichael's and and I'm sure other indie bookstores as well do for their customers at holiday time. We've gotten some great recommendations. Thank you so much for coming and telling us all about it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www dot perks of being a book lover.com follow us on facebook at perks of being a book lover and on instagram at perks of being a book lover pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air if you enjoy our show spread the word and leave us a review on apple podcasts that helps other listeners find us finally a huge thank you to forward radio 106.5 fm a grassroots community-based radio station in louisville kentucky You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.